Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please go to BethelCleveland.com. Turn with me to Matthew 22. I'm starting a new series today called Revolution. If you, you can, you say you want a revolution? Don't you know you can count me out? But I'm believing for a revolution. I believe that, that God's raising up. I was just with Mike Koulianis uh, Friday, spent the day up there in Youngstown where he was speaking, and he's a great friend of ours from down in Orlando, and uh, I just love the, the the Holy Spirit's spin he puts on Scripture, you know, and how you see Scripture in such different ways. And, and I've been so engrossed uh, in just the whole concept of love that obviously this is central to the Jesus life, to the Christian walk, that we love one another, you know. And so I'm going to read out of Matthew 22. First of all, though, you know, I just heard something this week, and maybe it's a great illustration of, uh, of love. It's a joke, actually, but... Uh, an elderly Italian man, very appropriate for this. Just, just feel the love in this joke here. So an elderly Italian man living alone in New Jersey wanted to plant his annual tomato garden, but it was very difficult work. Since the ground was hard, his only son, Vincent, who used to help him, was in prison. The old man wrote a letter to his son and described his predicament. He said, dear Vincent, I'm feeling pretty sad because it looks like I won't be able to plant my tomato garden this year. I'm just getting too old to be digging up a garden plot. I know if you were here, my troubles would be over. I know you'd be happy to dig the plot for me like the old days. Love, Papa. He gets a reply back and says, Dear Papa, don't dig that garden. That's where the bodies are buried. Love, Vinny. At 4 a.m. the next morning, FBI agents and the local police arrived, dug up the entire area without finding any bodies. They apologized to the old man and left. That same day, the old man received another letter from his son. Dear Pop, go ahead and plant the tomatoes now. That's the best I could do under the circumstances. Love you, Vinny. <laughs> That's love. Love finds a way. <laughs> Turn with me to Matthew 22, if you haven't already, verse 34. This evolution is learning to love well. I'm going to talk about this for the next four to six Sundays. Four to six Sundays, not 46. And uh, it says this in, in Matthew 22. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. It's so fun, isn't it? Jesus had such a powerful way of just silencing his critics without being mean, generally. And, uh, and it says here in verse 35, then one of them said, one of these Pharisees, they, 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 one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, uh, saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And they're trying to trip him up, and they did this often. Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What I want to talk about is the, the little spin in here in this verse is interesting because we all understand, we, we've heard this our entire lives, you know, this is, this is really the, the core value of a Christian is to love God, love people. In fact, so many churches have that as their slogan. I like it. Love God, love people. That's the rhythm. But they're missing a little part of this verse. That we love God and we love people. Troy, you're not sitting in the right place. You're supposed to be sitting over there. It's really bothering me, but you can stay there for now. Just remember next Sunday, it's over there. You put your name tag on there or something. I looked over there and thought, oh, okay. They're in a different place today. But uh, the thing that was left out is that you love, you love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, spirit, body, soul, flesh, body, soul, that's it. Mind, body, soul. There we go. Yeah, it's different in Luke than it is in Matthew a little bit. But, and then it says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I've always pondered that, and most of us kind of skip that. We don't want to be narcissistic. We don't want to be focused on ourselves. It's all about Jesus, all about Jesus, all about Jesus, not about... But he says, you're going to love other people as yourself. Now, I think Jesus is saying that, you know, in the way that you care for yourself, and, you know, you don't... You, you keep yourself safe, and you take care of yourself. You eat the right foods sometimes, and, and you, you walk a little bit, do a little bit of exercise. So in the way that you love your body to keep it alive is the way that you love others. But when I read it, I thought, you know, there's, there's something about a, a loving of self that we've, we're losing in the church. We're saying, it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. Well, that's good. It's good. But actually, Jesus partners with us. And so in this case, he's saying you love the Lord God. The second is like unto it because you love the Lord God out of yourself. I mean, you come Sunday morning, physical expression is love to God. When you lift your hands in worship, it's, it's an act of faith. Any action toward God, giving is an act of worship. Lifting your hands is an act of worship. You go, oh, no, it's just, what's the really big deal about? Well, it's not about God. God is not up there saying, hey, there was only 2.1 billion people that lifted their hands today down on earth. We're a little low today on hand raising. I mean, he's not that kind of God. Most things, and I love it, one national speaker said this a few years ago, got heavily criticized by the church, but they were right. They said, worship is, is kind of the process of it is not a, a, a benefit to God. We worship God because we love God, but the truth is when you extend out of yourself and begin to worship God, the Bible says in Corinthians that you get transfigured. You get changed. And so, yeah, we worship God, but he's not up there like, I need more, I need more, go another five minutes. He's not doing that. He's down there rejoicing, knowing, oh, wait till they see what this environment's gonna bring them. Wait till they see when they adore the Lord, when they lift up their hands to the Lord, when they get out of themselves and even jump a little bit before the Lord, you know. When they do that, it's, it does something to you. It changes attitudes, it changes hearts. And so I looked at this and I thought, there's a hint of, if you're gonna love other people, you're gonna love them out of the love you have for yourself, and if you don't have a whole lot of love for yourself, you're going to have a hard time loving other people properly. Is that not what it says there? Yeah. As yourself. 
If you've got low love for yourself, you're going to have low love for others. If you're selfish toward yourself, you're, you're not going to have any capacity outside of that. And so I was just meditating on that this week, and I thought, well, that's really powerful. God's talking to us. And I remember when, uh, you know, Bob Jones, who came here many times over the years, and this is a story I even told during the conference this past week about, you know, when he died, I think it was in 1976 or 75, he actually died, went to heaven and came back. But when he got to the gates of heaven, the Lord spoke to him and said, Bob, did you learn to love well? Have you learned to love yet? And, and Bob, I don't even think, answered that. It was more a rhetorical question. <laughs> it was obvious that he had not learned to love well. And so he was sent back. And the rest of his ministry, uh, anytime he was with us, he always talked about the love of God. And he happened to die on Valentine's Day, oddly enough, you know. Just the stamp of the love of God that was upon his life. And he was a very loving guy. He was direct. He knew how to speak truth and love. But he was, he was just like, uh, he taught, one of his last things he told me personally, he said, avoid war at all costs. And I've done that ever since then. I wanted to go to war a few times, but I backed off. And I thought, no, no, no. There's a, there's a time for war, but you don't go after it. You don't create it. If you have to fight, you will fight. But let's learn how to love one another. Let's learn how to create an atmosphere of love. And so Jesus assumes this idea that we develop love in our own hearts. And, and this, is, this is important because as I'm reading scripture, we talk in the church a lot about mindsets, uh, but we actually don't talk about heart sets. That your heart, so the heart is mentioned first, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, strength. Or, or the, there's a mixture of that depending on the gospel you read. So we love him with our, with our minds. You know, we make a mindset change. I'm gonna go to gather with the believers today at a place called the church, the ecclesia. We're gonna worship God together. And we're worshiping God, not just because we all need to gather and worship God together, but there's something powerful in the community of believers worshiping God that will help transform me in ways that I just can't do it. That should be something that stands out in a Christian's life is that the excellence of purity and thought and action that is in their life. Not that they're walking around as, uh, you know, I'm perfect, I got everything together. We know that's not the right thing to do. We walk in humility before God, but we are understanding things about ourselves, and we are taking this, you never hear this in the church nowadays, so I'm gonna say a word, it might even be a swear word now, I don't know, but personal responsibility. We can bleep that out later. Personal responsibility. And in the kingdom, there's this theology that slipped in that says, Jesus has done it all. You don't have to do anything. And what it's created is it's created a, a, a uh, passive church. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. It feels like work to me. I don't want to do anything that feels like work. You're still on this side of heaven, by the way. There's a lot of work on this side of heaven. And your promised land that you're called to take is you. It's the first big challenge of your life. And it's going to continue. Don't, Cindy's in the front row amening that. I hope she's not thinking about me. But anyway, 
It's the, it's the challenge you will face throughout your life. That most times the big problem is me. It's me. I got got to learn how to love me right enough to change me in the presence of God. So it's this thing where I'm loving God. I'm, I'm, I'm learning to love those around me as I'm learning to take care of myself that I might be, that I might know that I'm loved by God within my own self. So that brings me over to Proverbs uh, 4.23, thinking about heart sets, soul sets, mindset. A mindset is a is a construct of how to think. A heart set is a construct of how I love. Learning to love other people. Proverbs 4.23 says this, keep your heart. That keep is a really powerful word. It's, it's a diligent thing. It's an attentive thing. It's intentional. So I'm gonna keep my heart, Proverbs 4.23, with all diligence, for out of it springs or literally in Hebrew, escapes the issues of life. So as you tend to your heart, you know, I've got to really select my words carefully as I communicate this, but we need to change. Okay, I'm up to four amens. I'm I'm counting today. I need to change. Always have. Well, didn't you receive Jesus Christ? He'll transform you. I, I, I know that. But I found out that, that he transforms me and he looks at me as to who I really am and am becoming to be. He sees me as a righteous person. I don't know about you. I don't feel righteous uh, sometimes. You know, and even when we get angry, we got phrases now. It was like righteous anger. It's righteous anger. That seems, you know, it eliminates all anger you had. So, okay, sometimes it's good to be angry. And they'll always use, they know Jesus went into the temple and he cleared out the temple and that was righteous anger. Well, you're not in the temple and you're not clearing it out. You're working somewhere and you're learning how to get around, get along with other people. And Christianity has had some issues with getting miscommunication with people and it ended up being very bad. Right now in America, as the church, we're not looked upon real favorably right now. We're looked as bigots and racists and everything else. And I know a lot of it's false accusations and everything, but it causes us to have a bit of introspect to say, where, are, where is my heart really? Am I being transformed in the image of Christ? You know, as I get older, I look back over my life, even the 25th anniversary, I was telling Cindy the other day, you know, it was a a blast, I love it. I I love reflecting on what's happened over 25 years and the good things, but how many of you know, and this is why Mother's Day is such a challenge for a lot of mothers, they look over their lifetime as a mother and they have some sad memories about it. You know, because of maybe what happened or what what the coulda, shoulda, wouldas, you know. And I even look back over the 25 years, I've been in ministry for 43 years. But the 25 that have been here at this church, you know, overall, if you just say, how's it been to be at Bethel Cleveland? You know, give me your three words. I go, it's been, a great, it's been awesome. It's been great. But you dig a little deeper under that outer shell and you go, how's it really been? Oh man, it's been rough. It's been digging, you know, and hard ground and getting things up only to be squashed back down again and finances and 
people coming in and forming little groups and taking people off. And, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like herding wild cats, you know, and you finally get something together. Whoa, it's like trying to hold a beach ball underneath the water in the ocean. It's only so much you can do because you know one little wrong move and whoop, it's back up again. No, wait, put it back down. Whoop, oh no. I mean, it's been 43 years of that. It's no wonder I've had health problems, you know. And, and uh, 25 years here, I look at it and I, I, I think, are we growing? Are we? And, and I'd say, yeah, yeah, we are. But I think in this next phase, this, this is why I'm really stamping it with love right now and trying to speak in a loving way. That, and, I, and I'm a big part of this. I'm a big part of the problem, as you would know. But, but I, I realized, wait, we've got to keep our heart now. We've got to learn how to love well. What does that look like? And that's kind of what I'm going to be talking about over the next few weeks. Why? Because out of that heart, you know, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Have you ever said something and wish you could grab words and pull them back? I have, you know, probably this week. There's just times you just, you blurt out, you say something and, and say, oh, yeah, that probably wasn't the best thing to say. Proverbs 4.23, look at this. In the Passion Translation, it says, above all, guard the affections of your heart. You say, oh, Pastor Steve, I'm liberated, I'm free, I don't need to hear this stuff anymore. I'm not gonna come back into some kind of confine of legalism. This is not legalism. This is Christianity. Legalism is when you do something thinking that that's going to get you to heaven. The only thing that gets you to heaven is an acknowledgement and a receiving of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Acknowledging the cross, the death, the DBR, death, burial, and resurrection, that is salvation. It's not about even just saying a prayer. Saying a prayer is, is the entry point, but true, our, true believers in Jesus Christ that bear fruit in our lives are those that realize they've entered into a new life they take on the very values of that new life and they partner with the Holy Spirit to be transformed over a lifetime. And as a man, it means you become a better man. You become a better husband. You become a better father. Why? Because Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, is changing you and transforming you into the image of Christ. That's called being a disciple, which means to be a learner. A decision is great. But that decision is unto discipleship that God's called you to be a disciple your entire life. You cannot receive Jesus Christ and just see an hour and a half on a Sunday morning as your Christian experience. Honestly, I'm not sure personally that that means that you're a believer. I know I'm walking on some dangerous areas right here. But you know them by the fruit in their lives. And who am I to judge fruit? Oh, that's right. The Bible says that we're to judge fruit. It says that someday we'll judge angels. Why can't you figure these things out among yourselves? I believe that's in Corinthians also. So we're learning to, to use this heart that's being redeemed and powerfully. And by the way, I've always believed this. I believe the power of salvation is that I have been saved back in 1965. I have been saved. I am being saved and I will be saved. So that was the absolute, it's called the aorist tense in the Greek. It's past completed. So it is done, it is established in heaven, but the power of that salvation is transforming me where I am being saved, meaning sanctified, 
glorified before the Lord, transformed, and I shall be saved because it's working from the spirit to my soul and ultimately to my body. My body will be saved someday. <laughs> I'm gonna be transformed into a new one and I've already put my order in on what it's gonna look like. It will be over six feet tall. <laughs> so above all, guard the affections of your heart and they affect all of who you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from it there flows, this is Passion Translation, the wellspring of life. Wellspring of life. Check that out in your Passion Translation. The footnotes are mind-blowing. So let me give you a few examples. You know, in, in, way back in the early 80s, I went through a... A, a series of scenarios that were absolutely devastating to me personally. Devastating. I mean, it, it altered the trajectory of my life. It changed who I was. And I knew in this transforming moment that actually wasn't a moment, it was a season, a big season, uh, as I was being misunderstood in something that I wanted to move to Canada to plant a church, it was misunderstood. It brought this light on my life personally. Uh, things were, uh, it, it was uh, brought up in my life uh, and, and, and I was like under the spotlight big time and ended up actually being removed from the church that I planted, which was in 1984. I was devastated by it. I mean, I was young. I was like, uh, I don't know, 25, 6, 26, 27, something like that. I had planted a church. We had some success. I brought a team in to help out. But it just, it, it turned really sour. And what happened was I, I forgave them right away. I knew that enough. I mean, I went to Bible school and I was in seminary. They talk a lot about forgiveness. And, I, and so I forgave them. I confessed it. Uh, like one year, I did it every day. It was part of my prayer every day. And I forgive them, Lord. I was doing the Lord's Prayer every day and there's a nice little spot in there where you give an opportunity to forgive everyone and I would call them out by name. I would walk back and forth. It was when I was in Canada. I finally did get up there. I'd walk back and forth. I had my little heater on. It was freezing cold because I was out in this like seasonal room uh, and Canada has two seasons. Good skating and bad skating. That's it. So, so I'm walking back and forth, you know, and, and I'm calling out their names and I, I'm processing this, this, this moment, I don't know if you've been through a moment like that, but it's, it's got the potential of reshaping me. And I've got to decide what that shape's going to look like. And I have certain authority. It is me. It is my life. It is my inheritance. I'm going to either get bitter or better. What am I going to do with this? And, you know, my mind theologically was stirring around like, you know, this is, this is when you pray an imprecatory prayer. You know what an imprecatory prayer is? There's a bunch of them in the, in the Psalms where you, where you pray for the crushing of an enemy. I thought, well, it's scriptural. I'm gonna pray some imprecatory prayers over that. But every time that I would start to pray and say, Lord, you need to deal with them, I could feel the silence of God where he says, right now, it's not about them, it's about you. But Lord, they're the ones that perpetrated, it's about you. What if I told you that I'm involved in this? What? Am I going to have to forgive God? I kind of did. I came to a point where I just thought, Lord, you know, I didn't, I didn't outwardly say this is your fault. I just said, I feel like I'm not being treated like a son. 
I had a fine wine. Uh, it's a fine wine. Uh, and I'd pray, and I'd had to pray in tongues because I was afraid I was going to say something bad that would offend God. Maybe I did in tongues, I don't know, but I, 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 you're praying directly to God. I'm just like, you know, I'm in a broken, broken spotlight, but I had a, I had a decision to make. And so for, for a decade, for one year, I prayed for him every day. For a decade, I prayed very often. And finally, I kind of prayed it out of my system, you know. But it was not until 1994 when I encountered them in Toronto, in my country, in Canada, face to face, that it all came back to me. When a friend of mine haphazardly called me over out of 3,000 people, called me over to pray for the person who had wounded me that was visiting that church in Canada. What are the odds of that? They were shocked to see me. And I went over there and there he is, standing there like this. Ministry, eyes closed, he has no idea. This friend of mine, Wes Campbell, he says, could you, do you, do you know this guy? So yeah. He said, could you lay hands on him and just pray for him? Yes. <laughs> No, <laughs> it's kind of funny now that it wasn't. I was like, I was like, Lord, you're messing with me big time. I came to this thing to be, to be in the presence of the Lord. I came to rejoice and I want to get renewed. And why? This is not their country. They need to go back to the United States. And why here? Let's what do you think you want? I mean, the whole row of them there, you know? And I'm like, oh, Cindy and I went over in the corner. Did you see? I saw that. I know I saw that person. What are we going to do? I don't know. Do we act like they're not here? It's 3,000 people. I'd already gone and sat way over on the other side and a guy picks me out of a crowd, 3,000 people. I saw him praying for the guy. I prayed for him and he, he's on the ground and, and I, I lay hands on his chest. I'll, I'll remember this my entire life because this is like, this is a demarcation point for the rest of my life. I mean, it can be fixed later on, but this, it's gonna be hell on earth if I don't respond well in this situation. And so I laid my hands on him and I'm like, oh, oh, and Wes told me when he left, he said, lay hands on him, pray for him, prophesy over him. You ever prophesy over someone you're mad at? <laughs> I heard some prophet way back say that when you do that, if you're not clean in your heart, you know, emotionally, if you're not clean, that when you prophesy over somebody that you have an opinion about. It's like drinking out of a summer garden hose. It tastes hosey. Compare that with the fresh mountain spring that you had nothing to do with and it's just like, oh, it's life. But the summer hose is like, oh, this is horrible. You, it, it, it's laced with you and your opinions. And so I'm there like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, man, my, it was nuclear in my soul. It's like, oh my gosh, you know. And I said, Lord, bless him. <laughs> Prosper him. Lord, raise him up. And somewhere around that point, I just, I, my soul broke. I just broke. I began to weep over him. And when I began to weep over him, the heart of the Lord came in me. 
I didn't have that. But he gave it because of his Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, you can forgive anybody who has ruthlessly, this was not a ruthless case, has ruthlessly come against you or forced you into bankruptcy or whatever it might be, or stolen someone that you loved away or broke your heart or whatever it might be. Whether it's real or imagined, it doesn't matter. It's real to you in your heart. And so you begin to, I encourage you, begin to speak out. I love that verse. I probably overuse it. Speak those things which are not as though they were. It's a step of faith. And at times you've got to say, Lord, I love them, Lord God. And you're speaking knowing that that's the preferred, that's the right answer. And yet you may have your feelings, and I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, Lord, I'm in real problems with this person. I mean, I'm struggling. I'm like on the border of hate right now. And, that, and the Lord just, I'm telling you, with me, he was silenced and he invited you into something different. He invited me into something different where I had to say, Lord. And I'll tell you, you know what? The Lord restored all, of, all the relationships with all those people, restored them, and periodically I even golf with one of them. And so it's just amazing, you know, what the Lord did. But when that was broke free, everything opened up in my life. From that point, from that night forward, that was October 1994, the Lord opened the world to me. I was able to travel over 30 nations, ministering to thousands of people, doing things I never thought I'd imagine. And it was because of no unique connection or, you know, I knew somebody or I had this special training or education. In fact, I'd show up in some places and they go, well, who's you? who are you? I'm the guest speaker. They go, you're from Toronto? I said, well, yeah, I'm associated with Toronto. Okay, well, yeah, you're speaking. I mean, I went to one huge church in New England, 5,000, I think five to 7,000 people, an African-American church. And they had my name in the bulletin, Stan Watts. <laughs> it is. And I thought, shoot, this is awkward. How am I gonna tell the pastor that my name's not Stan? I mean, you know, and so we're up there with this pastor. He's a brilliant guy, man. He was such a lovely man. This church, I, I'll, I'll, in another sermon, I'll tell you about it, but it was amazing. And I, when I rolled up to it, I thought it was like a church of 200. That's kind of what I've been told, and it's 7,000. And so it was a little different. In fact, I heard actually the day before and went out and bought a sport jacket because I only had jeans. And I was in an African-American church. And, and uh, you know, just, I, I, they, they dress up really nice, you know. So I made a shot at it. I attempted to get to it. But um, I get in there and uh, even when I was in the golf cart rolling through the church, that's how big it was. Everyone, thousands of people out in the lobby and they're all waving, hey, Stan. <laughs> what I was really concerned about was the honorarium check. <laughs> Stan Watts, how am I gonna cash that? So the point is that once that's broken, I'm telling you, the, your world opens up to an amazing place. And you, you now, out of your heart, can love your neighbor, love your stranger, love your friends as you do yourself. It's coming out of a pure environment. You can celebrate with a friend where before you go, oh, what's the deal with them? I, I think I make more money than they do. How did they afford that Mercedes or that Beamer or whatever it might be. How did that happen, you know? And why did they got that house? And how they, you know, I've been tithing for years. They got, what, 1.9% on their loan? Who 
gets that? That's crazy, you know? Now the loans are going back up. I'm going to jump in probably at 4% or something. I mean, that's the conversations you have internally. Outside, it's not like that. Outside, you're like, oh, it's great. It's beautiful. It's awesome. But inside, you're evaluating all these things, you know? At least that was my testimony. <laughs> and, and so what the Lord's doing is at times in my life, he brings me into a corner where he fashions love in me. And I'm telling you, I prayed for it, but I didn't really want it. You know those prayers you pray? Like we sing these songs, you know? Take me, mow me, shake me, make me, whatever. Those things, you know, you sing them. Oh, they sound so good, you know, and you sing them, you know? Write your name on my heart. I belong to you. I was like, okay. You got a pen? Jesus Christ. Once you get Jesus written in your heart, man, your whole life starts changing. So in Philippians, it says this. So I was wanted by friends, but I, I had to do work. I got to finish this up. I run a little bit over. I'll get into it a little more next week. I had to do the work. Here's the problem in the charismatic church right now. One of the problems. We believe in the word, and I do too. But what we don't realize is there's the word and the work. Not for salvation, but the word and the work is for conformity on this side of heaven in the very image of Jesus Christ. If it's just in your mouth and never transforms you, it's just words. But if there's faith, what happens is the word begins to intermix with the work. You know what the work is? I'm not talking about doing your garden like the Italian guy. The work is you bringing the power of the Holy Spirit into your world and changing your life. <laughs> is that, was that easy to understand? Philippians 2 says this. Let me give you a scripture that'll help you out. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now more in my absence, work, by the way, literally that word means work down to the end point. So this is work. Work out your own salvation. What? Wait, where is this? Philippians? It's Paul. He's writing this in prison. Paul, there's no more works, bro. It's all by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know what Paul would say to you? Oh, absolutely. The blood of Jesus Christ will help you work this out. You got to do the work, Steve. Get conformed into the image of Christ. Well, it's not about me. He says, well, the Holy Spirit will be there. So here's what it says. It says, work out your own salvation. I got stuff to do with my salvation with fear and trembling. Well, it doesn't really fit into the God is good theology. Uh, I love, I mean, I'm a God is good guy. God is good. But do you understand that there, there's another aspect that God is good? He is also holy. He's also the judge. You start looking at the aspects of who God is. We want to focus on this. God is love, God is love, don't tell me what to do, don't correct me in any way, don't I want to hear anything like that. I mean, anytime I buff up against that, rebuff that in some situation, I feel the Lord saying, this is me, it's not what you think it is. Yield yourself to be fashioned in this difficult moment. And so, oh wait, my computer went off. 
So it says this, look at this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So he calls us to work, but says, and by the way, that word work is different than the other work, which shows you in the Bible, you can get a little bit mixed up on this. The first one is you working things out. The second one is energy, the energizing of the Holy Spirit. As you begin to move into your life and say, you know what? I want to learn how to love better. I want to learn how to love well. What do I need to shift in my life? You are inviting the Holy Spirit. The energy of the Holy Spirit will come into your life and he will bring these things to conclusion. He will deal with anger. He will deal with uh, injustice. He will deal with fears that you have. Perfect love casts out fear. And I love it says that he energizes you both to will and to do. We have little grandkids, you know, and, and there's not, sometimes you got to help energize them on the will and the do. No. See, there's no will there. Oh, there is a will. It's going in a different direction. No. It's to will and to do. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. I love this last part, for his good pleasure, which literally means his happiness. God is happy when you do stuff that changes your life, changes how you encounter other people around you. It gets rid of racism and judgments and all these things that we all have in our lives, whether they're macro or micro. We all have it. Every one of us has it of all colors. There's always someone we're judging, someone we're comparing to. Comparison now is probably the number one sin in the church. And the Holy Spirit wants to come in and root those things out. Why? Because this next 25 years at Bethel Cleveland, I want to be known for a lot of things in this church. I want to be known for a worshiping church, a presence of God church, all that. I really want to be known for. I want to be known as a church that loves well in what we do. You know, second thing, uh, and I'll close with this, is uh, when I had a stem cell transplant nine years ago uh, because of cancer, uh, you know, I, I faced it very courageous. I really did. I mean, I stuffed, stuffed it down. You know, I'm just going to gird myself up. We're going to get through this. And, and you know, it was, it was very awkward, very uncomfortable, to say the least. Difficult season, you know. But I got to say, in my soul, in all of that, I felt overlooked by God. And a lot of people who get sick or have diseases or challenges or disabilities, they wrestle with this. And sometimes Christians are not real careful in how they communicate with these folks. And they're not appreciating what their day is really like and what experiences they have. And so as you learn how to love well on both sides of that, you learn to speak to people who are going through something in a way that is, that is soothing to them. You would not believe things that people said to me during the time that I was struggling with cancer. Uh, just entered into stage four, stage three at the beginning, uh, which means basically it went to my bones and it was all over my body. It was a blood cancer, you know. And uh, they'd come up and say, you know, you need to eat more beans or, I mean, they, all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, we're past the beans. We're past the, the aromatherapies. We're past the teas. This, we need a miracle right now. And I'm going through the medical. Uh, I'm gonna see the best of medicine and the best of Jesus. Jesus in this situation. 
But the struggle in the mind was massive. Feeling overlooked by God, feeling, I, and I hear testimonies of other people being healed of cancer. You know, it was just, and I rejoiced in it, but I'm like, Lord, who am I? I mean, people experience this every day in their lives. And I had came to a point, you know, and I, I mentioned this, I was reading an article yesterday, this lady who had cancer, severe case of cancer, and she said her world quickly shrunk to her bed, which I thought was amazing. I, I use that phrase all the time when I had cancer, and uh, I thought I was unique to it, you know. It's an internet age thing. You think you invented something, and then you Google it and realize it's been everywhere for 100 years. But anyway, I thought, you know, it's true. Your, your world, your friends and everything, it all boils down to your bed and your life and where you're trapped in that. And in that moment, I tell you, I'm facing something so deep, I can't even express it with words and I have to kind of speak about it quickly because it's very emotional. But in that moment, like, I mean, I, there were people that were just gloriously good. I mean, they just, they knew what to say. They knew, and usually the best thing to say is, I'm so sorry you're going through this. Anything I can do, uh, you let me know. But then you also do things that, they didn't let you know about. And when you do that, you are learning how to love, you're learning how to fashion your heart to listen, to be attentive, and to love one another very well. I learned so much through that cancer situation. I know it wasn't God that brought it on me, but he sure, he sure used it in my life. And he, the fight for my soul, my body, I was really fighting for my life, but my soul was the big part that I was fighting for. But what happened in the middle of it? Well, I started dispossessing giants in my land. The giants, the walled cities that are in my soul, I'm taking it over. And I'm going to win my soul by the time I die. And I'm going to be somebody that I want to be in Jesus Christ because of the power of his Holy Spirit to transform me. I'm not just going to sit around and say, well, when the Lord wants it to happen, it's going to happen. I'll be different. He'll zap me one day and I'll have no more temper anymore. Well, he might do that. He has done that to some people. But he loves process. He loves for the power of the Spirit to come in partnering with you, the Word of God, the work of your life, coming together and creating something beautiful for the Lord. Let's all stand together if we could. Oh man, I wish I had more time in this. A couple things I, I really want to tell you that I've really never said publicly, but uh, you know, some of the things I've had to work on, I think it's important to say just a few of them. I, I react poorly to bad news. When I hear bad news, I don't know what to do. It doesn't matter. You could teach me, tell me what to say. I forget. When someone gives me bad news, high bad news, high level bad news, I just stare, I just stare at them. You know, and I, and I always, I go, where were you, Steve? What was going on? You know, there's, there's two Steves. There's Steve that does stuff and the other person that observes it. Me. It's my other self. And I observe it and I go, what are you thinking? Just say, I'm sorry, or say, that's horrible. Like, there's a hundred things you could, thousand things you could say. Why don't you just stand there and look at him? I don't know. But I'm learning. I think I'm in shock, you know. It's not a good response. I find that I celebrate slowly too. Like when someone's really excited about something, something in my mind has to get wrapped around it first. And that takes like 30 to 45 seconds. But during that time, I look really stupid. 
there, aren't you excited about that? And I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah, and later on I go, I kind of was underwhelming in that response. I wasn't, I was thinking about something else. It's my mind was assessing this. My daughter Ashley came over and gave me a book the other day. And uh, she came into my office, she handed me this book. And I look at the book, this is what my mind's doing. I'm looking at it like, oh, Gladwell. I like Gladwell. He writes great, I've read all of his books. Why'd she give this to me? It's Thursday. It's on my birthday. Honestly, it was like two to three minutes. She probably recognized it, you know? And I said, and so then I have to speak words, like, because I know what I'm going to feel later on. So I try to bring the future into the present and say, well, oh, that's great. I love Malcolm Gladwell. This would be a good book. What's it about? Well, this would be great, you know? I mean, I've, I'm now, I'm growing. I'm growing in the Lord. It's shaping my personality. I don't know if you need any help with this, but, but I do. I, uh, so I'm sorry, Ashley, I, I missed the moment. After you left, I thought, wow, and I actually went outside and read the book. You know, I started reading the book. Uh, but me and God are working on me. We're doing the work. I have weakness, but I'm a student of Steve Witt. He's my promised land. He needs to be conquered. He's getting better. Revelation is hitting his heart. Jesus will emerge. It's my work but it's his also. So I want to ask you as a congregation together, let's get to work. Let's get to work on us. Let's just invite the Holy Spirit. Right now, if, you, if you're here and you're, you're human, it only applies to you. What's something big in your life right now that keeps reoccurring, keeps popping up that you know God wants to deal with, but you tried everything. You Maybe you took a course. You know, I don't know what you did, but you, know, you got your wife to hold you accountable, whatever it is, but it keeps coming up there. I don't even want you to raise your hand. This is between you and God. This battle's in your soul, but it's huge. If you're gonna love others the way God wants you to love them, we need to start clearing ground in our own soul. So Lord, right now, we just offer ourselves to you. Jesus, come right now with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, where's Jay at? Are you up here, Jay? Jay, let, we're just gonna have a little see. I know I'm a little over. I'm sorry about that. I, the joke took too long at the beginning. But we're just gonna continue to invite the Holy Spirit. I know the Lord's gonna give you some words, Jay, on this to, to speak to it. Have you experienced that, Jay? You have stuff in your life so it just kind of pops up and you think, shoot. Yeah, use your microphone now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's all pray for Jay, right? <laughs> you see where I'm going with this? I just want, I want us to start opening our soul up to the Lord. Yeah. Because in the next weeks, we're going to talk more about other people and how to minister to them. Wow. It affects everything that we do here. Spiritual gifts, ministry teams, small groups, everything. If you're not clear in your heart, we're going to pollute one another. So Lord, I just ask right now, Holy yes, Spirit Jesus. to come. And just like there's some things right now I think he wants to just wash over. And let him do that right now as we just wait. 